Australia win in Hobart, they win the fifth test, and more importantly, they win this Ashes series 4-0. Welcome back to the Unplayable Podcast. Australia wrapped up the Ashes 4-0 on another day that was completely dominated by the ball. Australia started the day with a lead of just over 150, but Mark Wood's six wickets meant that England needed 271 for a consolation victory. And when openers Roy Burns and Zach Crawley put on 68 runs for the first wicket, the highest opening stand of the whole series, English fans were up and about. But things came crashing down very quickly as Australia took all 10 wickets for just 56 runs. Louis Cameron spoke to Ricky Ponting as the final few wickets tumbled in Hobart. Proudly brought to you by HCL, the official digital technology partner of Cricket Australia. I'm here with Ricky Ponting on day three of the Hobart test. It could be the final day. We're, we're not 100% sure. We're still about an hour away from stumps, but we've just witnessed a pretty special spell from Cameron Green. Ricky, I mean, how, how magical was that? Yeah, no, it was. Look, it, it, I mean, we say it probably almost on a daily basis now about how exciting this young man is and the talent that he has, whether it's, you know, most of the series, the start of the series anyway, we're talking up his bowling prowess because we had a bit of an idea about his batting and not so much about his bowling, but... Um, uh, his bowling's God, just gone through the roof, hasn't this series? It's been, it's been hostile. It's been skillful. Um, you know, he, he hasn't leaked runs. Every time he's come on in a spell, he's looked dangerous and, and hit his lines and lengths straight away. Uh, and it just goes to show today when, you know, have the beauty of having someone like that and all around like that in your team. You know, they initially, you know, start Cummins and, and bowling, you know, they struggle to get the breakthroughs. And then you've got your fourth seamer there that, is bowling as good as any of them that can that can come up come on and, and get the breakthroughs for you and with pace as well. I mean he's he softened Milan up, hit Milan the head, softened him up, and then got him out of you know only a few balls later. <laughs> Chopped on again. That's two for Green. A similar dismissal. It's bounce. Just tightened up Milan. He's, in his uh, he's it, awesome, and, and I think a bit has to be a bit of credit has to be given to Scotty as well. Bowling, I think in that we talk about batting partnerships a lot. Don't probably give enough attention or pay enough attention ever to bowling partnerships, but England were going along really well, scoring at you know four and a half and over. And the, the first thing the Australians had to do was stop them scoring. The batting looks easy when the when the scoreboard's ticking over. They had to stop them scoring. And it was that partnership between Green and Boland that did that. And when they when they stopped the runs, um, like we know about this game and we've said forever about Test cricket, if you can make it hard to score, then wickets are going to come. And that was a, another great example of that today. You mentioned the pace with Green. I mean, is the movement as well, just that, that little bit into the left-handers from around the wicket and away from the right-handers over the wicket, was that a pretty big key in, in how he bowled today? Yeah, we look at the way that Milan got out, absolutely. Um, he troubled him with that ball coming in, that what that angle, big angle, and then he gets a bit of movement in the air and off the seam back into the lefty. So, um, you know, at the start, of the, the start of the series, we're talking about that away movement to the right-handers. He troubled, he got Root with a good one up in Brisbane, just a little bit of outswing. Got him again with the one that left him in, in Adelaide. Um, and we're scratching the surface. That's the thing we, t- we say all the time. You know, such a young man, um, still probably learning a bit about himself and his body and, in, and his own game at test level. But it, there's some really exciting stuff there, that's for sure. And you think about the great test attacks that you, you led and, and also played in. I mean, they were four-man attacks, weren't they? Because you had a, a great spinner. This team's got a, a pretty good spinner and now four legitimate fast bowlers. What are the what's the kind of ceiling for for this attack when you when you think about um, just beyond this summer as well? Well, it's got six or seven really good fast bowlers. That's what we know yeah. now on the back of seeing Nessa Richardson and Boland uh, and and Hazelwood only playing the one test. I mean that's that's the exciting thing. I think that's what you know 
success over a long period or sustained success needs depth and and the depth that we've got now you would think that these guys um, can you know can keep going for a number of years yet you know Nathan Lyon's going to keep going for a number of years yet um so yeah there's a it just having just having that all around it just adds so much because if we find if you find if your quicks or, or even if your only spinner is having an off day you know you've got someone else there that's almost equally equipped to get to get the job done for you so I know you know, as captain, I didn't ever really have that luxury to have someone that was that good with the ball. You know, Shane Watson did a serviceable job at different times as an, as an all-rounder. Um, you know, we had guys in one-day cricket that could do it. it was, you know, Simo and and Michael Clark and, and you know, even Darren Lehman, guys like that. But no one that was as classy an all-rounder probably with the ball. Um, and that's nothing against Watto because Watto was a, a, a very, very good cricketer and, and, you know, more than serviceable bowler. But Cam Green's bowling package um, for, for a captain must be an absolute delight to have that in your lineup. I'm sure that Watto wouldn't be offended. Um, I want to ask you, I mean, it might not matter too much in the scheme of things, but the way Australia batted against Mark Wood, um, who took nine wickets for the match, he obviously bowled really well, but there were a lot of kind of caught on the fence, hooking kind of scenarios, first and second innings. What did you make of it? You know what? I actually don't mind. I don't mind them seeing getting caught in the fence. I'd rather see them get caught in the fence than get caught down the leg side of it or get caught at short leg or, you know, try and evade one and get caught off the glove. Um, Cam Green will learn from his first innings dismissal because I think he probably only had to get through another couple of balls there and that might have been the end of the spell. But I, I was critical last year, so I can't go back on that. I was critical on the fact that they didn't take Wagner on and they just sort of stood there and let him dictate. I think it's it's just all, if you're going to play the shot, you're just going to play it well. It's no different than any other shot. It's no different than the cover drive. And this, when there's three slips in a gully waiting there for you and you play a cover drive um, and you nick it, there's not ever much attention paid to that. But when you play a pull shot and you get caught a deep square leg, there's always a bit more attention paid to that so and I, i'm not I, I don't mind seeing it to be honest um but at, at the end of the day um and with with wood today if you think it's more about a, a, a game awareness type thing i guess when travis got out he probably only had to get through a few more balls it might have been the end of his spell um smithy you know he would probably only got one more over because he got the wicket of of head and then smith got out the next over so there's those little things there the game awareness type things that i think it would be a bit more of a worried and and then actual playing of the, of the shot. Yeah, no, that uh, that makes sense. I want to ask you about Alex Carey as well, 49 off 88. We spoke a little bit about him yesterday, about you know him, his series just being a pass mark. Has it, has it gone up a notch after, um, you know, I know he had some some good fortune, but did he go up a notch? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah, I think he did. Because they were pretty important runs, weren't they? They were hard runs. He had to work hard. He didn't, didn't get many boundaries early on. Um, you know, he was patient enough. He then got a couple of cover drives away in the one over off, off Wokes, I reckon. Um, and then had that little bit of luck. Um, but actually, when he when he had, when he got that little bit of luck, I think that it really looked like that switched him back on again. I mean, the, the shot he got out to was a premeditated pull shot because it was nowhere near short enough to play the, that, that shot too. So he, the build-up of pressure was starting to get to him. Um, he got away with one, as you say, with that no ball. And then I think he clicked back into gear, a gear again after that. So, yeah, it looked really important runs. Perfect time for him to get him when his team needed him the most. And um, he can take certainly take some confidence from doing that under the pump. The other one I wanted to get your thoughts on tonight, Ricky, was um, Steve Smith, who finishes this series, interestingly, this is the worst home test series of his career um, with an average of 30. So, you know, you, you know he's, he's going pretty well if, if 30 is the lowest. Why do you think he hasn't been able to find his best? Oh, look, most batsmen haven't. Um, I think conditions, I think that's one thing we, we need to pay a lot of attention to when we start talking about this series with bat and ball. I mean, there's some remarkable things that have happened with the ball. Um, I think because of the conditions, the conditions, but I've never seen you know, a series of wickets in Australia that have been 
anywhere near as conducive to, to seam bowling as what I've seen here. I mean, the fact that we're about to finish a test match and Nathan Lyon hasn't bowled a single ball like that, that's pretty remarkable as far as I'm concerned. And, you know, Melbourne, we saw what we got in Melbourne. Sydney was hard work as well. So I think some of it's got to go down to that. Um, he hasn't looked like he's been out of touch to me. He, he, all these things that he normally does, his mannerisms and his footwork patterns and all, all of that have, have been as they would normally be. I think England's tactics have been pretty good to him as well. They haven't, you know, they haven't really allowed him to come out and dominate. Um, he's had to work hard for every run that he's got. Yeah, and actually, Jay, J, James Brashaw has actually did look. Have a look at some of his stats for the last. Well, that'll be four series, I think, in Australia now. I think before this series, he'd averaged 30, about thirty-six or thirty-seven in his last few home series, and this one is less than that. So, look, I, I don't, I can't put my finger on it because nothing, nothing looks like it's changed to me. Um, he just hasn't, he just hasn't got the runs. And at the start of the, well, actually, right the way through this series, I think you've had to have your fair share of luck to make big scores and make runs. Um, with the exception of Woozy probably in Sydney, anyone else that's got runs has had, you know, either been put down, got bowled for no ball, played and missed 20 or 30 times in innings and 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 Stephen probably hasn't done that. And that's why I feel a bit, like I said yesterday, I feel a bit for Joe Root as well. Even looking at his dismissal today, it just feels like it's been a series with him where he's hardly made any mistakes, but he's just got out. Um, and that, that's probably the same with Smith as well. Do you think with Smith as well, like he's missed a lot of cricket in his career and especially through the what should have been the peak years. He had the ban and then, you know, the pandemics has, has kind of changed things. Is he the guy, kind of guy who missing all these Red Bull tours especially because Australia haven't been overseas? Has that really hurt him? Oh, look, potentially. But, yeah, look, once again, I don't know. I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can yeah. give an insightful answer on that or not. But, yeah. you know, one thing you know about him, he wouldn't be missing out on batting. That's for sure. He, whatever he's not doing in the middle, he'll be doing the nets and, and getting plenty of work done there. You know, it's maybe that's even something he needs to look at. You know, is he, you know, at the sort of the back end, not so much. He's not like he's at the right at the back end of his career, but he's getting closer to the end than the finish. You know, does he have to look at trying to find ways to be mentally fresher and, and not focus so much on hitting so many balls and, you know, but they're all questions that he'll have the answers to. I, I can't give the right answers to those, but, um, you know, the interesting thing for me, and a lot of people talk about, you know, after he got hit from Joffre and whatever else, but on the, immediately on the back of that, it's probably where he played his best cricket ever. So I'm not going to take it back to that. I don't think it's anything to do with that. I think it's, you know, it's 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 there's the standards that he'd set himself um, for so long. You know, that four or five year period, that, or not even that three or four year period that he had, where he he took batting to another level to try and maintain that. You know, for four or five or six years, is it, no one's ever done it, and, and no one will probably ever do it in the game. And and you're going to have your ups and downs. And as you say, if he's averaging 37 or whatever it is in Australia still on the back of a couple of lean years, then you know most other batsmen will take that, and we probably wouldn't even be talking about it. It's just the fact that his standards are so high. Let me phrase it a slightly different way then. Is it a new challenge for him considering, I mean, you think back to the Hobart test in 2016, he was, he was shouldering everything. The whole, the whole kind of team was on his back. Does he have to find a new niche, I suppose, in a team that might not need his runs as desperately as it used to? Um, I don't think it'll change his mindset. I think he's, he's so hungry and determined to be the best that he can be anyway. I don't think he needs um, anyone else. I mean, the other interesting dynamic with it all maybe is, you know, the Manus factor and even other guys that have come in and, and, you know, have dominated like he did, you know, it's, you know, there are other guys that are helping out now. So it, there's lots of things that we can probably think about and ask questions about, but um, he, it's not going to be long. You know, I know what he's like and he'll look back at this probably, you know, even though Australia's won the series and looks like they're going to win another one in Hobart, he'll look back at his own game and, and break it down and, and ask himself, ask himself those questions as to why things didn't work out or haven't worked out in Australia as he would have liked to for the last few seasons. And, and he'll come up with the right answers because the, 
the best players, as I always say, the best players are the best problem solvers. And um, if he has got a problem with playing in Australia, then he'll work it out pretty quickly, I'm sure. Appreciate your time as always, Ricky. Thank you. Good on you, buddy. Thanks, mate.